It's a new year and a new chance for you to make a fresh start with your compliance. For the next 31 days on the FCPA Compliance Report, we're going to be bringing you a daily tip, strategy, or idea that you can use to improve your program. Here's your host, Tom Fox, the Compliance Evangelist. Day 14, Risk Assessments. One can really not say enough about risk assessments in the context of anti-corruption compliance programs. This is because every corporate compliance program should be based upon a risk assessment to understand your organization's business from the commercial perspective, how much the organization has identified, assessed, and defined its risk profile, and finally, the degree to which the company devotes appropriate scrutiny and resources to this range of risks. As far back as 1999 in the Metcalf and Eddy enforcement action, the DOJ has said that risk assessments that should measure the likelihood and severity of possible FCPA violations, and you should direct your resources to manage these risks. The 2012 FCPA guidance stated it succinctly when it said, quote, assessments of risk is fundamental to developing a strong compliance program and is another factor the DOJ and SEC evaluate when assessing a company's compliance program. This language is supplemented in the 2017 FCPA corporate enforcement policy, which stated the effectiveness of the company's risk assessment and the manner in which the company's compliance program has been tailored based upon that risk assessment. A risk assessment determines the areas at greatest risk for FCPA violations among all types of international business transactions and operations and the business culture of each country in which these activities occur and the integrity and reputation of third parties engaged on behalf of the company. The reason is straightforward. You cannot define, plan for, or designate an effective compliance program to prevent bribery and corruption unless you measure the risks you face. Having made clear what risk assess, what risks need to be assessed, the 2019 guidance was focused on the methodology used in the risk assessment process. It stated, risk management process. What methodology has the company used to identify, analyze, and address particular risks? What information or metrics has the company collected and used to help detect the type of misconduct in question? How have the information or metrics informed the company's compliance program? Rick Messick, in a 2018 article entitled Corruption Assessments, Am I Missing Something?, laid out the four steps of a risk assessment, which he said should follow. First, all conceivable forms of corruption to the organization, the activity, the sector, or project might be exposed as cataloged. Second, an estimate of how likely it is that each possible form of corruption will occur is prepared. And third, an estimate of the harm that will result if each occurrence is developed. The fourth step combines the chances of occurrence with the probability of its impact to produce a list of risks by priority. What should you assess? Well, back in 2011, the DOJ laid out seven factors in three FCPA enforcement actions. These were, number one, where does your company do business? Number two, geography. What is the geographic locations? Three, interactions with types and levels of government. Four, industrial sector of operations. Five, involvement with joint ventures. Six, licenses and permits in operation. Seven, degree of government oversight. These factors provide guidance into some of the key areas the DOJ believes can put a company at a higher corruption risk. These factors supplement those shown in the now withdrawn 
UK Bribery Act consultative guidance, which stated that commercial organizations must regularly and comprehensively assess the nature and extent of the risks related to bribery to which they are exposed. The former guidance pointed to several key risk areas which should be evaluated. These include internal risk, deficiencies in employee knowledge in the customer's or around the company's business profile, and an understanding of associated bribery and corruption risks. Two, country risks. This type of risk could be the can include perceived levels of corruption as highlighted by the TI CPI can also include factors such as the absence of anti-bribery legislation and implementation, the perceived lack of capacity of the government to promote trans- transparent procurement and investment policies. Could be transaction risk number three, and this could entail such transactions as involving charitable donations or political contributions, the obtaining of licenses and permits, public procurement, etc. And four, partnership risks. These risks could include those involving foreign business partners located in high-risk jurisdictions, associations with prominent public office holders, insufficient knowledge or transparency of third-party processes. David Lawler has broken down risk areas into company risk, country risk, sector risk, and transaction risk and business partner risk. Under company risk, this is only to be relevant when assessing a number of different companies, either managing a portfolio of companies from the perspective of the home office or private equity. Country risk, this is similar to prior country risks by taking a look at the Transparency International Corruption Perception Index, which can be a good starting point and other indices uh, that look at similar risk. Sector risk, these involve areas that require a significant amount of government licensing and permitting, such as the extractive industries, oil and gas, large infrastructure projects, telecoms, pharmaceuticals, and financial services. Transactions risk. This uh, means it's necessary to think about where your money's ending up. This could be a high-reward project involving many contractors or other third-party intermediaries. Business partnership risk. This includes certain manners of doing business present that may uh, indicate corruption more than others. This could be joint ventures. It could be teaming agreements. It could be other types of business relationships. There are a number of ways you can slice and dice your inquiry. As most, as with almost all compliance, it is important that your protocol be well thought out. If you use one, some, or all of the above as your basic inquiries, it should be an acceptable starting point. And of course, always remember to document, document, document. So what are the three key takeaways from today's episode? Well, number one, since at least 1999, the DOJ has pointed to the risk assessment as the start of an effective compliance program. Number two, the DOJ will now consider both your risk assessment methodology for identifying risk and the evidence you've gathered. So always remember to document, document, document. And three, you must base your compliance program on your risk assessment. This means the risks that you have assessed are the risks that you need to manage. In a future episode, we'll take a look at evaluating risk assessment, but it all starts with a risk assessment. So Put your resources into your risk assessment. Assess the risks that are applicable to your company, the way it does business, what it sells, who it sells to, and indeed how it sells. Then evaluate those risks and risk rank them, which which we will talk about later. But never forget, the risk assessment is the foundation of your compliance program going forward. Hope you have enjoyed this day 14 
of 31 Days to a More Effective Compliance Program. I hope you'll join me again tomorrow when I take up another strategy, tactic, or pointer that you can use in your compliance program. 31 Days to a More Effective Compliance Program is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.